Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Eden. He instructed them, This is what you are say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have shared said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each her by itself, and he said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. But he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself sent the night in the camp. Jacob wrestles with God. That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched a socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man answered him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him, Heather. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you very much. So Tim is going to... Um, I guess this is perhaps a familiar passage, or at least a familiar story. Um, I kind of felt it was helpful to read the whole chapter, because um, it kind of puts in context a little bit about what, what I want to say, and helps remind you a little bit about this story, this slightly strange story of this guy wrestling with this character who seems to be God. Um, there's a verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It's a very familiar verse, perhaps, to many. When God is speaking... Uh, to his people and he says this you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart um, I guess I've said this before but I guess most of us have played hide and seek at some point in our lives um, if you've got children or if you ever were a child or uh, you've got ne- nieces and nephews you'll have played um, hide and seek at some point um, when I was growing up um, I went to um, stay with my grandparents my dad was often traveling and uh, at times I would go and stay with my grandparents, um, lived near London. And I became brilliant at playing hide-and-seek in their house. I loved playing hide-and-seek in their house. There were lots of little kind of nooks and crannies. Um, and I could play only the way that kids could play. I could kind of get myself into these tiny little nooks and crannies. And I would sneak off with inch, in infinite patience. Grampy and Grandpa at that point didn't know they were playing hide-and-seek with me. But I would go and hide somewhere in their house, in brilliant places, behind doors, under beds, in the cutlery drawer. I could hide in amazing places they would never find me. And, and hide there for hours, slowing my whole heart rate down. So I was almost in the kind of this sort of state where I could be for hours and hours on end. And, uh, and, and kind of go into like sort of suspended animation. It was great. It was brilliant. I used to love it. Um, and I would do that day. I would do that virtually every time I went there, my poor grandparents. And eventually, um, they'd come looking for me. And they'd open the cutlery drawer, cutlery drawer. And I'd jump out, ah! like that. And it was once while, um, in the ambulance with grandpa going to hospital that my grandma said, Tim, you've got to stop playing these games with us. You're going to kill us. But it was good fun. It was great playing hide and seek. And what is it within children that love, what is it about playing hide and seek? We love to kind of hide. And the chase of being found, of knowing that someone's coming looking for you, is what makes it brilliant. Joey, my youngest, um, he's eight now. He still loves playing hide and seek, as I'm sure most of us do, if we're honest. But I have vivid memories of him as a child. And Sarah and I would laugh about this. He would play in the garden, hide and seek. And he would go off and hide and say, Daddy, Daddy, count to ten. And he would go and hide. And he'd go and stand behind a tree that wasn't much thicker than the bit of this. And he would stand there and kind of look out like that to see if we were coming to find him. And you'd have to pretend that you hadn't seen Joey going like that because he's desperate to know that Dad's coming to look for him. Playing hide and seek with no one coming to look for you really sucks. That game's just called hide. And it's really not fun. Joey can't contain himself. He wants to be found. And I want you to just hold that thought. God says this in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you says the Lord. That is something we need to hold in our hearts the whole time. God is promising us 
look, if you look for me, if you really search for me, you will find me. I know times, at times in our lives it doesn't always feel like that with God. God seems really distant and we don't know, we're wrestling with our doubts and our unbelief and our struggles and our longings for more. Mark last week was talking about the Arnott's visit and talking about the challenges that we often face within us. The fears we struggle with, the longing for more of God and the frustration with what we seem to be experiencing right now. We have lots of struggles, but the Bible, God's word, is truth. It's never stopped being truth. We need to take God's word seriously. God's prophetic word and God's spoken word. We need to be people of this book. We need to read it. We need to devour it. We need to get it inside us. It's sweet like honey. And we need to believe it. See, I meet many people who read it with real devotion. But sometimes it stays up here. And God wants this glorious word to be down here in our heart, in the very seat of our being. Why? So that we really believe it and we can experience it. So when God says, when you seek me, you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise. And God is always faithful to his promises. He loves for us to seek after him and to search for him. And he loves nothing more than being found by us. But God is also longing for us and longing and very graciously often reaches out and and searches for us. At times when we thought we're searching for God, actually God's been looking for us and seeking to reach out and connect with us. The story of the lost sheep is about that, isn't it? God leaving the 99 to go and find the one who's lost. So, as we kind of hold that thought about the God who wants to be found and the God who wants to be sought, but also the God who comes looking for us as well, we're here with this man, Jacob, who, alone with his fears and anxiety, actually finds God coming to find him, searching him out, finding him. Not in a kind of fluffy, smiley, nice kind of yummy, yummy way, but actually in a wrestling, powerful, fearful, unusual kind of way but a way that transforms and blesses through that encounter. And I think in this season of life, this is a story that God wants to speak to us about individually, but also us as a church, perhaps prophetically us as a church in the nation, but certainly with us as a church right now. I think it's a story that God wants to almost resonate within us and hopefully force us to evaluate the journey we're on with God right now the journey that we're traveling, and maybe some of the struggles that we're facing. I believe there's a challenge for us to be really honest. Not superficial, nice Christian, but actually to be honest about the struggles that we're looking at in our lives, maybe the struggles that we're being forced to consider, and actually to give time to wrestle with them and allow God to challenge us and help us wrestle rather than running from them. Last week, Mark shared these thoughts, and I'm going to quote him. He talked about becoming frustrated with himself. And he said this, that I have a sense that I'm walking in fear, often of man, and not freedom. Sometimes, where is my joy? So do I walk the walk or just talk the talk? He said, I know that God loves me and that I love him, but I've been questioning how healthy is my one-to-one relationship with him. He said, all 
I want all that God has for me. I want to love and serve him. I want to live in the river of forgiveness where love flows. And at the end of his talk, he posed these questions. So how much are we prepared to let go? What are we hanging on to in our lives and not allowing God to be a part of? Do we seek God and allow him into what happens on a Monday morning and the other days of the week, or is he just for Sunday evenings? And lastly, he asked this question, do we want all that God has for us? So here we have this passage that I want to speak on tonight. It's time for Jacob to go home. He's been living away from home. He's been in kind of exile for quite a long time. And we join him here in in chapter 32 of Genesis and discover that he's actually preparing to go home to meet his brother Esau. He's been away for 20 years. 20 years is a long time. A lot of stuff can happen in 20 years. A lot of resentment and anger can turn into something so destructive. And he's a bit scared. In fact, the way that he left home doesn't make his coming home now easy at all. I wonder if you can remember that story. Do you remember the two brothers? He's the younger brother, and he wants to inherit the blessing. And of course, in the kind of tradition of Jewish households, the older brother received the blessing, and the father would put the hand of blessing on his son and speak that blessing out. But Esau was getting, uh, but but Jacob's father was getting quite quite blind, and so uh, Jacob, with the help of his mum, comes up with this trick putting on the hairy clothes, do you remember, and talking in a husky voice and preparing his dad's favorite gruel, whatever it was, to trick his father, to deceive his father into giving the blessing instead to Jacob. And you might say, well, he just spoke it out. It doesn't matter, he can take it back. Well, no, kind of in biblical times, when the word was spoken, it was spoken. Like God's word, it goes out, it has effect. And so, through manipulation, through deceit, through trickery, through a bit of connivingness, he cheats his brother Esau out of his birthright, out of the inheritance. And he gains his father's blessing through this trickery. So 20 years later, he's coming home. God's told him to go home. And now he's not sure what the reception's going to be, going back to meet his brother. Understandably, I'm sure he's very nervous. I don't know whether he talked to anyone about this. I don't know whether he shared his concerns or whether he was a typical bloke, and he didn't. It's what most men do. They just bottle them up inside and stew, and it comes out in anger or it comes out in frustration or it comes out sideways some other way. But actually, he's dealing with all this, and he's aware. It's all there, his history. Wherever we go, we take ourselves. Wherever you go, you take yourself. Your history, good, bad, indifferent. It's going to travel with you. And we can run to another country, or we can go to another place, or we can get into another relationship, or we can fill our lives with work and business and busyness. Busyness, which is like an anesthetic to the soul, but it's all still there. So 20 years later, he's going home. And he's not sure the reception he's going to get, and then he gets a message. Esau's coming to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men. Generally, I'm not an expert in these things, but generally you don't need 400 men to stage a family reunion. So instantly Jacob's really beginning to freak out now because he knows he's got to go home, but he's got these men coming to meet with him. And so he's scared, he's frightened. And enormous fear and anxiety, he begins to figure out how he can meet this challenge. Because remember, Jacob is always the one who works his way out of situations. He's always the clever one, the conniving one, the tricking one. 
So what can he do? He's the Dell boy of his day, ducking and diving, wheeling and dealing, coming up with a plan. So he divides the family into two. He divides the flock into two groups. And he thinks if Esau comes and he sends one ahead, and he thinks if Esau comes and attacks one, well, there's a gap between the next one and maybe they'll be spared. And he sends gifts in advance to pacify his brother. Say, look, these are for you, Esau. I want to bring blessing. And there's another one behind. And then Jacob's further back, hoping that the kind of trickle effect of nice gifts and treats will win favor. He's looking again to negotiate, to pacify, to trick his way out of it. He's good at doing those things. He's become really accustomed at working stuff out, getting it sorted. Not totally yielding to fear, but trying to sort it out himself. And then, like many of us, he leaves nothing to chance. Just about when we've tried everything else in times of anxiety, fear, pressure, and we've sorted everything else we can possibly do, we do the last thing that we can do. Not just turn to a glass of wine, but pray. Finally, after he's done everything else, he thinks, I'd better pray. And interestingly, I would say that the prayer that you heard tonight is different. We slightly hear a different Jacob in that prayer. We hear the different kind of prayer than the prayer he prayed perhaps as a young man. Different from the kind of bargaining that he used to do with God. When he was fleeing, when he was kind of making a new life for himself. Hear his prayer this time again. Oh God, my father, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac... Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two great companies. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and the mothers and the children. But you've said, I will make you prosper. He's done everything he can do. He's planned ahead. He's sent gifts. He's split his family to try and protect them. And having done that, he lies down to rest, to sleep for the night. And he suddenly finds himself alone. And I think that's not insignificant. The scripture says he's suddenly alone. We're told that night that he sends his family across and he's left alone. And and in the darkness, in the night, a man comes and wrestles with him till daybreak. And it's a long, hard night, a dark night. And it's a night of struggle and it goes on and on. And in this struggling, Jacob discovers stuff about himself. As he wrestles with this man, he sees that he can't overpower him. And then this man touches Jacob's hip and says, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob says to this man, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And there's two things that strike me from this passage, two things, quite simple things that I want to share with us more than anything else. What did Jacob want? More than anything else, what did he want in his life? Well, I think probably like many of us, most of us here, the deepest thing is to find a sense of fulfillment and purpose, a sense of belonging, a sense of usefulness, and a sense of blessing. For Jacob, the word was blessing. I want to know the favor, the smile of God on my life. I want to know that I'm in the right place and I'm being the right person, the person I'm called to be. I want to know the favor of God. I want to know God's hand on my life. I want to know the touch of the eternal king. Is that possible? I want to know that my life is making a difference. 
and that is pleasing God. What Jacob wants more than anything, what he's wanted all of his life more than anything, is a blessing. But the way Jacob's gone about receiving blessing is through trickery, through craftiness. And so it's led to brokenness. It's led to mess. It's led to a breakdown in relationship in his family. It's led to him being exiled, having to run away. It's led to a life of fear and led to a life of deceit where he's always tried to have to work things out because of the mess that he's got himself into. It's that, like that little thing with a white lie where we tell a little white lie that's not that insignificant. But then you have to tell another lie to cover the lie. And before you know it, there's lie upon lie upon lie and you're trying to protect yourself from accusation and stuff because of that first tiny initial thing. Jacob's got himself into a real mess. He's been competitive. He's been the one that sought to win at all cost. And he's tried to get the blessing by cheating, by guile. And that's only turned to ashes and led to him fleeing, as I've said, with his life and a broken family and prospect of war. And so he wrestles. He wrestles. It's interesting that he wrestles. There's two things here. As he's wrestling, did you notice it's at night time? And night time is a strange time, isn't it? Night time is often a time for most of us when all that stuff comes back to haunt us. It's the one time where the noise and the busyness of the day and the job and the needs around us and television and internet and, you know, we can switch to our iPhone and look at the news rather than going into the deep things. But at night time, all that's stripped away. And as you lie in your bed, and I don't know, maybe you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then suddenly it's there. Those voices, those fears, those anxieties, those pressures, that shame, that mistake, those questions, that uncertainty. That all crams in on us. And we wrestle and we struggle and, you know, it can cause terrible anxiety or lack of sleep. Nighttime, the darkness is a time that often just seems endlessly, endlessly long. And Jacob, perhaps for the first time in his life, for the first time in a generation, he finds himself alone. Did you notice that? He sent his family across the river and he's there on his own. And in a place of loneliness, he has nowhere else to run anymore. In the darkness of the night, totally alone, he has to face, he comes face to face in a sense with all his fears and all his struggles. And face to face with God in that moment. And he says to the one with whom he wrestles, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this... Maybe it's obvious to you, but this is the defining moment. It's a life-changing moment. It's a moment where everything kind of hinges on this moment, I think. See, God has promised transformation. God has promised blessing. God has promised to use this man to transform the nations. God's promised to honor him. Despite all the mess of the law, of, of, of his life, despite all the, the mistakes and the pain and the brokenness and his horrible history... God is offering him something new, but it all depends on this moment, on this encounter. Because God asks him a question. What is your name? It's a really simple question, right? (laughs) Someone comes to wrestle you and they ask you your name. Simple. Easy to answer. Unless you know you're Jacob, that you've lied about who you really are all your life. That to get by, in order to get ahead, you lied about your name. 
In fact, your name itself means deceiver, crafty one, the, the kind of conniving one. What was the word you used earlier? Trickster. I like that. Trickster, that's who Jacob was. And he lied about it. He said, oh, no, I'm not Jacob. I, I'm Esau. I want the blessing. He'd lied about who he really was to win favor with other people. He'd connived and tricked and conned and worked his way out. And in this moment, God says to him, who are you? And then Jacob answers, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. That's who I am. That's what I've become. And I think when we're really face to face with God, it's a bit like holding up a mirror. That we almost see ourselves for who we truly are. In the light of God's holiness, all our masks, all our illusions, all our kind of puffed up ideas, the way we try to carry ourselves, all our brokenness kind of gets exposed. And in that moment, we either own it and say, do you know what? This is who I am. Or we try and bluster and hide and run away from God and deny it. But in this defining moment, Jacob says, I'm Jacob. I'm a mess. He was mixed up. He was confused. He was ethically numb. And yet he was longing for something so much more than that. Because the deep person within him longed for blessing, longed to know the favor of God, longed to be fruitful. When God had said to him, I'm going to use you to transform the nations, something rose within him and said, is that possible, God? Even me, the mess I am? And in this moment, God says, yeah, if you allow my transformation, then you can't even begin to imagine what I can do in you and through you. And I think there comes a moment in all of our lives, maybe several moments, because it often takes several moments, when everything else gets stripped back and we're often faced with a reality of who we are, of maybe where we've come from, of what we've allowed ourselves to be, how we've been shaped by others, by circumstances, by pain, by brokenness. Some of it good, some of the shaping, some of it not so good. And often those moments are disconcerting, they're jarring, they're painful, they're fearful. Often those moments in the night where we wrestle with stuff can leave us feeling really shaken. Or maybe in our lives where stuff from the past begins to affect us, or hopes or aspirations or dreams that we had for our future seem to be shaken, and we're left wondering, well, God, where are you in all this? Isn't there more than just this? Is this all there is? And we begin to wrestle with our questions. We wrestle with our struggles. We wrestle with our hopes and our dreams. Maybe in our relationships we wrestle. And so often, actually, the reality is that in those moments, we're actually wrestling with God. And God will use the wrestling if we allow him to bring transformation and breakthrough. It's often really vulnerable and really painful and disconcerting. I think Mark was alluding to some of this last week about the questions and the uncertainty and the wrestles that we have. But when we yield to God... In those moments, we can experience overwhelming, transform transformative grace. It's like an ocean. Because in this moment, as Jacob owns his history, perhaps for the first time, as he owns his brokenness and says, this is who I am right now, undeserving of your grace, 
undeserving of love, undeserving of favor and blessing, though I want it more than anything else, the blessing of God, I'm messed up, I'm Jacob. In that moment where he owns it, God says to him, okay, well, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And in this moment of renaming, I think, Jacob is acknowledged. And in the new name, Jacob's told that even with his weakness, even with his failure in his history and his sorry track record, God works with imperfect people and is able to do incredible transformative things, to bring recreation, to turn Jacob into the person that he was always supposed to be, a bringer of blessing to more people than he could imagine. But it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by our own striving or effort. It can only be by the grace of God and by his spirit. That's what we all need to hear. His new name Israel, of course, in Hebrew means the one who has striven with God. And Jacob says to the man, I don't know if you noticed it, please tell me your name. Why did, he, why did he ask? He wanted to know this. He knew he was wrestling with God, but he wanted to know the name. Maybe because if he knew his name, there's some sort of sense of power, perhaps, or control. But the man replies, God replies, why do you ask my name? You know who you've been wrestling with. You've not really been wrestling with your brother and the people all your life. You've really been wrestling with me and my good purpose for your life. And I wonder how much... For, for us, how many of us, that's true. We wrestle with stuff. We wrestle with work. We wrestle with relationships. We wrestle with our identity. We all re- Perhaps we wrestle with the gifts we have or the gifts we haven't got. But in some ways, our real wrestling is with the God who made us. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully created. That's the truth. You're unique. Beautifully unique. Special beyond measure. You're like a a precious Ming vase that's perfect. If it gets smashed, it's irreplaceable. No one on this planet can replace you because you've been created for a purpose that no one else can fulfill. Why? Because they weren't created for that purpose. You were. That's every single one of you, however young or old you may feel or be. You're unique. And God has a purpose for you. But so often we wrestle with that because we don't understand what it is or or the kind of blueprint for our life gets messed up at birth or as we grow through our teens or when we hit adolescent years or later in life or through divorce or broken relationships or because things are done to us and harm is caused to us or we lose our way and we never really understood the creator and so the blueprint gets scrunched up and messed up and so we wrestle with anger or frustration or uncertainty or fear because we're trying to make sense of this blueprint that's really messed. And ultimately, we end up wrestling with God and his purpose because we don't understand his purpose. But when we acknowledge that, God begins to unfurl the blueprint and flatten it out and show us what we're made for and show us how we fit into his greater plan so that we can receive his blessing and pass on his blessing. And so Jacob, in the wrestling, gets a new name. And he's wounded. He's marked. He bears the mark of his encounter. And for us, kind of as I come to finish, that's the truth for us as we wrestle with God. The point is that we bear his mark. It becomes visible. Maybe we don't limp. Maybe we can run for the first time in our lives. But it should be evident to other people 
that God has met with us and bringing transformation to us. And of course, the incredible, the end of this story is he meets with his brother and there's beautiful reconciliation. His brother's not interested in the gifts or the presence. His brother just longs for reconciliation. God transforms Jacob, but transforms him in order to prepare him for this beautiful reconciliation with his brother, a new beginning, new opportunities. So what about you, your questions, your struggles? The struggles maybe about when John was here, John and Carol talking about the Holy Spirit and some of the things they talked about. What about those questions? What about the struggles that come up within? Or the questions you have about your faith? Or your life? Or your future? Is God's purpose for me good? Can I really trust God? Does he really know what he's doing for me? Can I count on God, whatever the future seems to hold? I remember when I lived in France, there was a time in my life where I was so confused about what God wanted for me. And I was so afraid of the future and afraid of people and afraid of the dark and afraid of just about everything that my life felt like it was turning inward on itself. I knew God and I believed in him and I believed that I was saved, but everything seemed so black and so hopeless and I was on the point of feeling crushed. It's often when you're alone in a foreign place and you only have God. And in those moments, I remember crying, literally crying and crying out to God. And encountering God in the days that followed. And I knew in the aloneness and the loneliness of my times and the struggles that I had with God. I felt God with me. And I felt like I was wrestling and angry and confused and hurt. And didn't understand what was happening. But something changed in me in that wrestling. When I encountered God and I found a new strength and a new hope. And many of you here I know have experienced that in your own lives. And I suppose, as I thought about this sermon and thought back to my life, in my woundedness, I realized at that time that all my life I'd actually been wounding other people. I'd been competitive. I'd been cruel with words. Often I'd been self-centered. I'd wanted to protect myself because I felt vulnerable. So I used humor and sarcasm and hurt others. And in trying to protect myself, I'd wounded people. And I think on that night where I struggled with God and God broke through in my life in a dramatic way, I realized that I didn't want to wound people anymore. But I wanted to be a wounded healer, a healer of other souls. And that's what we're called to as Christians, to bring God's healing to others, even through our own brokenness and pain that we've experienced. And so for Jacob... Here he was alone and God came to find him. Where does God need to find you tonight? Where are your struggles, your questions? Where are your fears? Where are you hiding some of those things? Perhaps even from yourself. Part of it is being prepared to admit to ourselves even the struggles that we have. Because God wants to expose those things. Not to humiliate you, not to condemn you, not to crush you. But in order to heal you. To transform you. God delights in finding us. And many I know have been hiding. We hide in the darkness. God wants to find, transform and bless. And as we wrestle, 
with our struggles, our doubts, our fears, we discover that actually God is good and God is for us. God doesn't want to wrestle with us to destroy us. God wants to wrestle with us in order to free us and give us his blessing. We follow the wounded saviour, Jesus Christ, who died for us, that by his wounds we can be free. So I want to pray for us that we can experience his healing wounded as we often are to be his wounded healers to those around us in workplaces, in our families, in our homes, in our lives. But it has to begin with us. Some of the questions that Mark was raising last week has to begin with our own encounter with God. And I wonder when you last felt that you were wrestling, encountering God in that way. I want to pray that as you seek God with all your heart, what actually you discover is that God's been looking for you, looking for time alone with you. Time in silence, time in stillness, where you allow those things to come before him so that he can bring breakthrough. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I want to pray for us, but I want us just to be still for a few moments. I was struck by a lot of the things that Mark said last week, some of those questions. And I want to pray and invite God's spirit just in the stillness of the moment to maybe come and challenge us. As we read God's word, we're continually reminded of the love of God, that he's got plans to prosper us and not to harm us, that he's our redeemer, that even when we grow tired and weary, those who hope in the Lord won't grow weary, but actually be lifted up on eagle's wings. We're told that when we feel alone, God says, see, I've created you. I've inscribed your name in the palm of my hand. You're not alone. When we feel isolated, we're reminded that Jesus says, I'm Emmanuel, God with you. You're not an orphan, no longer cast out, but you're loved eternally. When we feel that God is distant, we're reminded in Scripture that God is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. God's word is full of his promises. Promises to transform. Promises to heal. Promises to bring life and light. Promise that the darkness will never overcome the light. Promises to provide for you. To give you your daily bread. To deliver you from evil. Promise that you can know adoption as a child of God, the Father of all compassion, loving you endlessly. Your promise for forgiveness of all your sins. So, where are you wrestling with God? Where in some of your doubts do you struggle to believe the promises that are always true? Do you know God as your provider? Do you know God as your father? Do you know the presence, companionship and power of the Holy Spirit with you? Do you know that nothing can take you out of the Father's hand? Do you know that your future is secure in Christ?
Do you know that death can't separate you? Neither angel nor demon, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So where you're wrestling with relationships, where you're wrestling with fears, where you're wrestling with work-life balance, where you're wrestling with uncertainty and unbelief, allow God to meet you in your wrestling. And allow him to bring breakthrough and transformation. That you might be blessed in order to be a blessing to many. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Spirit of God, where you are there is freedom. Spirit of Jesus, you bring life and the words of truth from the Father. Lord Jesus, would you be glorified in our lives. Heavenly Father, we cast our burdens onto you. We give you our questions, our struggles, our uncertainties. And we long for breakthrough. We long for blessing. Where we as a church are wrestling with questions of buildings and transformation and regeneration. Where we're wrestling with questions of how to reach our community more effectively. Where we're wrestling with uncertainty about how to be the best vehicle for life into this community and beyond. where we're wrestling with what it means to be a true community of believers, a community of love. Would you come amongst us in our wrestling? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you transform us? Would you heal us? Would you make us whole? That we might be wounded healers, but healers nevertheless that carry your light, your love, your life, your message of truth into this community and beyond. Because when we're weak, we're strong in you. And when we're bowed down, you'll raise us up. For God exalts the humble. So we acknowledge our weakness before you. We say we're inadequate without you. We have nothing in ourselves of any value. Nothing that we can really win by our own guile or deceit or trickery. It's all worthless. All our actions are like filthy rags. But you are the God of grace who lifts us up. And you set our face to gaze upon the King. Would you help us to lift our eyes to the mountain to where our help comes from? And would you fill us and equip us with your spirit? That same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. May it be at work amongst us. And may people be able to leave tombs of despair and death and know your resurrection power at work within. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Set our hearts and minds on things above, not on things below. And may we dare to believe that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to use us to see your kingdom come, to be fruitful that Jesus might be glorified in all things for all honor, all glory, all power to him. And Lord, we pray John the Baptist's prayer. Lord, less of us, 
more of you. Jesus, less of us, more of you. May we die that you might live in us, we pray.